I'm sorry, Ginger. Please don't beat me up. Hey, Ginger. Ginger. Forget about my mic. He's alive, alive, alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive, alive forevermore. He's alive, alive, alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive. He's alive, alive, alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive, alive forevermore. He's alive, alive, alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive. He's alive, alive, alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive, alive forevermore. He's alive, alive, alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive. My Jesus is alive. My Jesus is alive. Acts chapter 2. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Let's pray. Lord, as we gather together on this most sacred day in our calendar, that we can worship your great work, that death could not hold you, 
that sin could not contain you and that by your power we are healed. Lord, we thank you for the work that you have done and the work you continue to do as we live in this world day by day. Remind us that we serve and worship a living, risen Savior who has conquered all of our enemies and laid them aside. And let us, as your people, securely walk in that truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, oh, Holy One. Jesus, my Redeemer, Name above all names, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, oh, for sinners slain. Thank you, oh, my Father, for giving up your Son. And leaving us your spirit till the work on earth is done. When I stand in glory, I will see his face. There I'll serve my King forever. In that holy place Thank you, oh my Father For giving us your Son And leaving us your Spirit Till the work on earth is done there is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, oh, Holy One. Thank you, oh, my Father, giving us your son and leaving us your spirit till the work on earth is done leaving us your spirit till your work on earth is done hill far away stood an old rugged cross the emblem of suffering and shame 
And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Oh, that old rugged cross, so despised by the world. Has a wondrous attraction for me. For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to bear it to dark Calvary. So I'll cherish. The old rugged cross Till my trophies at last I've laid down I will cling to the old rugged cross And exchange it someday for a cross stained with blood so divine a wondrous beauty I see for twas on that old cross Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me So I'll cherish the old rugged cross Till my trophies at last I lay down I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. And exchange it someday for a crown. risen see there you go becca knows how that one goes i didn't grow up as a presbyterian lutheran or in traditional baptist churches so the first time somebody did that to me i was like uh-huh 
They're like, you're supposed to say he is risen indeed. Oh, I didn't know that. And then you get the look like, you're the pastor of the church, and you don't know that. What did we just hire? And we're like, it wasn't a thing. I'm sorry. Lapsed Catholic for a father. What do you want me to do about it? All he knew is the nuns smack you with the rulers. But <laughs> that has nothing to do with anything of value because he is risen. Woo. See, there you go. Now you, you will know that now until the end of time, whether you like it or not. All right. Um, mission that I had mentioned last week that I would say something about this week. If you're, you know, if you're listening online, you want to drive in. We have to make the sandwiches this afternoon because we have to deliver them because the mission is not accepting any volunteers, and they're planning on not having volunteers for a while because. They've sent out emails to the pastors that are normally involved with various things asking us to record 15-minute Bible study devotions so that they can play them for the for their uh, daily Bible study stuff. So I don't know how long they're planning on being shut down, but it sounds like they're planning on this for a while. And things you don't plan on having to deal with. Okay, good. The sun is almost in the right spot. Because we have fewer chairs in here, because I'm trying to make sure we've covered all of our bases in case the Cherry Valley police who are parked in the parking lot come storming in. <laughs> and if you're listening online, I'm not kidding about that, by the way. The, um, the doors in the sanctuary are open to try to eliminate echo. And if I stand right here, the glare hits on a car and hits right in my eye. <laughs> so it's kind of like... <laughs> so I'm sitting here, so I'll be doing a shuffle all morning trying to make sure the glare isn't on me, or at least until the sun moves, so... Until the world returns to normal, ha, 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 whatever that may happen to actually be, uh, we will just continue doing what we can do, um, continue up with the stream. We'll, uh, we've got a camera working that won't talk to the computer in real time. I don't know why. I've been messing with it for a week and a half. I don't know why. It just will not talk to it. So if nothing else, we're recording the uh, sermon on video and posting that after the service whenever it decides it wants to upload and take however long that is. So if you miss seeing my face, which I can't imagine why you would. Um, it will be posted on the church's YouTube channel, hopefully within a day or so after Sunday morning. So, What is the promise of Christ's coming in Revelation 22? Oh, come on. The Oak Ridge Boys sang this one. You should know this one. Yeah. See, see now you want to know, what, like, what do you mean the Oak Ridge Boys sang that one? Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Many will, many will meet their doom. Trumpets will sound. You're all looking at me like you have lost your mind. <laughs> and I don't even like country music, and I know that one. <laughs> and, I, and I will say, as someone who doesn't like bluegrass and country and stuff like that, the Oak Ridge Boys version of that song is the best version. So if you want to look for it later on YouTube, look that up there. They get the best bass line. It's just well done. And the dude, as he's swaying back and forth with the beard, hanging down to his knees, is kind of comical. I don't know which one that is. You know the guy I'm talking about, though. Mm -hmm. He's got the pointy ZZ Top beard. Yeah, he's got the ZZ Top beard going on. So, yes, Jesus is coming soon. A, a helpful reminder in times like these. See, if you want to know the distinction between what the Christian worldview should be with what's going on and what the world's view with no hope just look at the people who are terrified and demanding government and various other entities bend to their will so that they will be, quote-unquote, safe. The world, by definition, is not safe. It never has been and it never will be. And it's the people that don't have an eternal hope are the ones who are doing the most panicking. I think they're probably the ones buying all the toilet paper, too. Mm -hmm. If they weren't, that's who we're going to blame for it. Yep.
I'm still yet to figure out the toilet paper thing. I, I still that I read an article that tried to explain it, and they said that all the people that are normally using the bathroom at work because so many offices and things are closed are now using the bathroom at home. Which that would make sense to me if, like, after a week or so of people being out of work, all the toilet paper disappeared, but it disappeared the same day. So does that mean all the people who were using the bathroom at work were like stealing the toilet paper at home and they weren't buying it for their house? It, it doesn't make any sense. Just <laughs> maybe it, we're gonna we're we'll blame anxiety, but I don't I don't think it's that much anxiety when you see people leaving Sam's Club and Costco with like three boxes of toilet paper. Like that would be enough in my house until the next millennium. I mean that's just I don't even know where you put that in the car to get it home. So. All right, for this week, who said, The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? And for those of you that don't have a bulletin, it's in the book of Psalms. That should kind of narrow it down for you really well. Don't yell it out loud. Not even on the live stream. Don't yell it out loud. They might hear you. Um, is there anything else I'm forgetting that we need to be reminded of? I seen the meld was gone. It's not gone. They're not accepting donations yet. I just got it out of the foyer because I get tired of tripping over it. And when they take donations again, we will take it down there. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's one of those I haven't forgotten about it. Ooh, but that is a good reminder because Elena did ask me. We can blame Elena for this one now because she actually reminded me of something, and you reminded me of what Elena reminded me of. <laughs> so there we go. Now you know what it's like to live in my brain. Mm -hmm. um, missions projects for the upcoming time. Right now, we can't get together enough people to collect stuff. Most places aren't taking anything, so it looks like as we get towards summer, we will start gearing up for the backpacks like we did last year. Our goal last year was to get to 50 backpacks, and we kind of did that in about a month. Mm -hmm. What we would like to try to do this year, as we talked about the backpacks as the fall gets here, is to expand the amount of time we can take up items and see if we can do more backpacks to maybe even deliver some, not just to the group that Kathy meets on Friday nights, but to the folks at the mission that, we, that are in the crisis program as when we go in October to do the meal. So that would be a lot more backpacks, but our thought is if we started earlier in the year, we could maybe have a fighting chance of accumulating that. So as you're thinking about uh, upcoming mission projects and things like that, that's going to kind of be our goal for the summer is to collect those items to stock up backpacks so that when October gets here, we'll be able to deliver them. So thank you. We remembered one, and Elaine will be happy she can put that in the bulletin next time. All right. With nothing else, I am going to stop rambling, and we can go back to singing. Serve a risen Savior, he's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy, I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. In all the world around me, I see his loving care. And though my heart grows weary, I never will despair. I know that he is leading through all the stormy blasts. The day of his appearing will come at last. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. 
He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lived, he lived, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lived, he lived, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. You ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. He had risen, he had risen, he had risen, Jesus is alive. He had risen, he had risen, he had risen, Jesus is alive. When gathered from this body, seemed like Jesus' missions failed, but his sacrifice accomplished victory over sin and hell. He has risen, he has risen, he has risen, Jesus is alive. And grave did not leave him, for his body to decay. Raised to life, the great awakening. Satan's fire he overcame. He has risen. He has risen. He has risen. Jesus is alive. If there was no resurrection, we ourselves could not be raised. But the Son of God is living, so our hope is not in vain. He has risen, he has risen, he has risen, Jesus is alive. When the Lord rides out of heaven, 
mighty angels at his side. They will sign the final trumpet from the grave. We shall not rise. He has risen. He has risen. He has risen. Jesus is alive. He given life immortal. We shall see him face to face through eternity we'll praise him Christ the champions of our faith he has risen he has risen he has risen, Jesus is alive. He has risen, He has risen, He has risen, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive. agree to that we can say amen amen well something fun for you real quick show you the uh maybe i don't know power is the right word or the weirdness of the internet um just to let you guys know that uh leandro has asked us to pray for his folks they're in brazil he's in brazil but he's listening <laughs> so this week when you remember your prayer time remember please remember leandro and his family in brazil we told him we would so i'm telling you that we will so, don't ask me to explain the internet to you. I can't, and how anybody finds anything. I don't know how I find half of what I find. So, all right. What are we doing today that is of value? We are looking at 1 Corinthians 15. And if you were paying attention last year and remember exactly what we did for Easter, you know that we're picking up where we left off, believe it or not. See, so you're looking at me like, well, huh? Exactly. We are picking up right where we left off because I'm not that clever to think of something for Easter every year. So, 1 Corinthians 15 runs through for 58 verses, uh, explaining the cross, the resurrection, and what that means to believers. So I've got Easter covered for the next few years as we work through this chapter, and then I'll have to actually be clever and think of something. But until then, there it is. Since we do not airdrop into the middle of the Bible and have no idea what's going on, Paul has spent three chapters in this book previously outlining the work of the Spirit in the church and explaining how the church should function in light of that work. Some of you will know some of those chapters, uh, 1, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians in English. Chapter 13 is the exposition about love. But notice it fits in the middle of two things. Chapter 14 is an explanation of how the church body should work day by day. Chapter 12 is an exposition of the gifts of the Spirit for the working in the church. That love chapter is not about husbands and wives. It's about how Christians should be working, worshiping, and functioning together. Now, in light of that, what ties us together as the people of God? Huzzah! 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, 
if you go through the first 11 verses, which we did last year, and if you don't remember that, don't feel bad. We will. You can you can go home and read it. Read 1 Corinthians. It'll do you good. There it is. All right. Paul has described and de- determined and declared what the gospel is, why his ministry is based on that, and he has rooted that understanding of the gospel in history and testimony of the church. So famous verses like, uh, I can tell you what, rather than try to mess them up, I'll, I'll read it to you. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ Jesus died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. That he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. So one of the early creeds of the church actually predates the writing of 1 Corinthians. It's Paul describing and declaring to the church members what they would already know and have been taught as something. How do you know Christ has been raised? You would run through that testimony and and declare it in that manner. The reason why we think that is, who got left out? Ah, yeah. I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Is that how that went down? No, who did he appear to first? The women. But their testimony is not good in court. They couldn't actually testify in public. So it's excluded from the early creed because you wouldn't declare something that everybody would laugh at. So when you uh, formulate the creed for something for people to learn in church, you would do it in a manner that the world would actually make sense of it. So that's why it's written like this. This is why we assume it predates 1 Corinthians as writing because it's something from the church that Paul has put into his letter to the church so that it would be in line with what they know and encouraging them in how to believe. So this year, because <laughs> I can't say this week because we won't pick this up again until next year. This year we're going to continue through that exposition of the cross and why it matters. It's one thing to say that it's happened and that it's rooted in history and it's true. It's another thing to understand why that has to take place, and that is what this section of 1 Corinthians helps us with. So, verses 12 through 19. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God, because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. I think it's also fun that we get to go through this at the time that we're doing it. Not just because it's Easter, but because of the world losing its ever-loving mind on a day-by-day basis. It's just kind of fun to me how many things that we have covered in the last few weeks speak to that when I could have told you at this time last year where we would have been. God has things worked out very well. So let's rewind to the beginning here for verse 12. If Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead. All right, time out. we got to stop right there. Was this preached? Yes, we read it this morning, right? Acts Acts chapter 2. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, signs, performed through him. What happened to the end of all that? 
God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. This is part of Peter's punchline in his first sermon at Pentecost. This continues on if you fast forward to chapter 4. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them. Then is Peter and John, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. You see the same thing in chapter 8. You see the same thing throughout Paul's letters. This was preached. Hence the reason why Paul is kind of baffled here. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Who is Paul writing to? He's writing to a church, which is theoretically populated with who? Believers. So if the preaching of the gospel is the message of Christ, dead, buried, and resurrected for the forgiveness of your sins, and you are entering into that covenant relationship with God based on that knowledge, then you get to church and somebody says, well, there's no resurrection. Why are you here? See, this is why we, we point this out, because there is nothing new under the sun. This is why I don't understand Unitarian Universalist churches. Like, you don't have to believe in anything, but you're part of a church. I'd rather sleep in on Sunday. Like, what, what do I need to go listen to a TED Talk if there's no power behind it? What's the point of this? It just, I, I'm baffled. Welcome to Paul. How do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Part of the reason why he's baffled is, here. this is easy trivia time. Does the idea of resurrection originate with the apostles? No. As I told you it was easy. If your first inclination is it can't, then your answer would be right. Go rewind John chapter 11. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is Lazarus. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. What was Jesus proclaiming there? A resurrection from the dead. Not just that Lazarus was coming out of the tomb in a few minutes, but that he was coming out of that tomb on the last day. What's the last day? That's the plagues of Joel, the coming of the Lord, the redeeming of all things. Now, that's not just a New Testament concept either. Job 19, Psalm 16, Psalm 17, all talk about the dead rising at the final time, or the, the judgment before God, or those living again. Now, an easy one to remember, because everybody's going to go, oh, well, you know, that's Job 19. Everybody knows that. No, nobody knows that. But one you can remember is Daniel 12, 1, and 2. See, how, see, it's like Daniel 12, 1, 2. It's easy to remember. Why do we remember that one? At that time, what is that time? He's talking about the judgment, the time at the end. Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. I don't know a lot of things, but I do know what the word everlasting means. It means 
everlasting, a really, 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 really long time. No ending. This is an eternal life, an eternal reward or an eternal judgment. Jesus doesn't just, Jesus does not just show up and be like, hey, I got some new ideas for you. He's got what? He's got an Old Testament, a history from God, a prophetic witness, a testimony that explains who he is, what he is doing, and why he is doing it. And for fun in the New Testament, the one I always like to remind people of at Easter, what would it take for your brother to convince you that he's God? <laughs> You're like, yeah, no. No. Book of James, Book of Jude, written by half-brothers of Jesus, sons of Mary and Joseph, leaders in the church, missionaries going out, preaching the gospel. Why? Because when I watch my brother die, and I watch him go into a tomb, and we have to console mom because he's dead, and then he's standing in the living room, <laughs> that's kind of a big deal. Hence Paul's confusion. If Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? This is foundational. But Paul doesn't leave it there. Verse 13. If there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And that's one of those, you know, duh, should have had a V8 moments, you know. If there's no resurrection, Christ can't be resurrected. So we start with the obvious. Verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith also is in vain. This is important. This is our beginning. The resurrection is our foundation. If Christ dies for our sins, goes into the tomb, and he stays there, do you have forgiveness of sins? No. Why not? This is one I always like to ask people whenever they start struggling with their faith and doubting. How many of your sins were future sins when Christ died on the cross? All of them. Because none of you are that old despite how your knees and back feel. Uh, especially on like a random Tuesday. But you know, none of your sins were past sins when Christ died. So if Christ is dead and in the ground, he has covered all the sins up until that point. But what do we now need? We need another sacrifice to cover our sins. Christ, the living sacrifice, offered once for all time, covers all sins, past, present, and future. Now, this is important as our confirmation and our foundation because it grounds the other teaching of Scripture. So Philippians 1.21, if Christ cannot conquer death and come out of the tomb, Philippians 1.21 is not true. You guys know that one, right? For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If Christ can't come out of the tomb, death has won. There is no gain in death. Our life, what we have here and now, is our only hope. Welcome to the world's problem. Welcome to why you see people losing their mind. What's the worst possible thing that could happen to the world? They could die. And then I've lost everything. It's all gone. That's why you have to stay home. That's why everybody else has to stay home. If you didn't see it, my, my new favorite question is uh, one of the press report, one of the pool reporters for the White House actually asked in a press conference, well, if we, need to, if we need to close things down to keep people away from each other, then why are essential businesses open? 
I mean, we still have people going to grocery stores and things like that. Don't we need to shut that down and tell them to stay home? And I'm going, I'm sitting there watching this going, the most, the most annoying thing to me about that is that no one hit the button from the Happy Gilmore gif. Like, you know, I'm talking about the scene at the end of Happy Gilmore where the principal goes, what you have just said is quite possibly the most idiotic thing I've ever heard. <laughs> it's like some, no one said that to him. They actually answered the question like it was a rational question. Like, hey, why don't we just tell people to stay home and starve to death? I mean, where, where does he think groceries come from? I mean, do we, do we, are we going to grow stuff in our gardens and slaughter our cow? I mean, if you're Vern, you can pull that off. Vern's like, if you shut down Walmart, I'm going to be okay for a little while. But, I mean, after a while, like, I have to go out and eat. See, fear makes you say and do really dumb things be because you're terrified. Welcome to what happens when you do not have an eternal security, when you do not have a home secure with God. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain because my eyes close here and they open in the eternal throne room of god amen that's good without christ coming out of the tomb <laughs> without christ coming out of the tomb that is not true if christ cannot conquer death luke 21 is outside the power of christ to promise what's luke 21 you might ask he continued by saying to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, plagues and famines, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves. For I will give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. But you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. They will put some of you to death and you will be hated by all because of my name. Yet not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. If Christ cannot conquer death, then that promise is outside of his power to deliver. Because he's dead. And he's buried. By the way, we're getting closer to that day by day, aren't we? That was another one that was on the news last week where one of the governors or mayors, I, I can't keep them all straight anymore. He hopped on there and goes, well, you know, there's an old saying about snitches. And if you don't know what it is, snitches get stitches and wind up in ditches. His thing was, no, snitches get rewarded. So they're actively saying, hey, go out and snitch on your neighbors because they're out of their house. It's like, what is wrong here? Have you noticed it when you go in the grocery store? Have you walked by another person in the aisles lately? The, the look that they give you? It's, it's like the death stare. It's like, and you're sitting there going, I'm just buying groceries just like you. Have you caught yourself holding your breath when you walk by another person yet? <laughs> I've actually seen people doing it. It's kind of funny. Like they, they can see you coming, and they're like, and then if they're three feet behind you, you hear, <laughs> I mean, why? Because what's the most dangerous thing we have right now? Other people. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, and the nerve of them, they're breathing my air. That air is supposed to keep me alive and you're infecting it. We're turning against each other. Now, I do not point that out so that you can go, oh, 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 we're turning against each other. Jesus is coming back on Thursday. The signs of the times are given to you as a reminder that Jesus is coming back. 
So when there are earthquakes and famines and plagues, it's a reminder that this world is not our home. Jesus is returning. This place is broken and busted. Look at it. But Jesus is secure and safe, and his kingdom is right, and it is good, and it is put together as a blessing, not a curse. If Christ cannot conquer death, Revelation 5 is simply a really, really, really nice idea. What is Revelation 5? I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or look into it. And I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seals. And I saw between the throne with the, four, with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb, standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. There's something to look forward to. But if Christ can't climb out of the grave, he can't deliver that because who would be the ultimate power? Maybe I should say what would be the ultimate power? If they can crucify him, put him in a tomb, and he stays there, what is the ultimate authority on this earth? Death is. Because death gets everybody. And if Christ can't overcome it, we are done. But what do we know is not true? See, this is why I love some of the Old Testament uh, proclamations, because they don't know the full story. And sometimes we read them and go, that doesn't sound nice because we don't read it in the right context. And one of my favorite is Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar, right? After he has been uh, cursed by God because of his pride and his hubris, God humbles him, and when he comes out of that, because God leads him out of that, he says this, His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? And when you read that at first blush, you go, is that a, is that a comforting vision of God? That no one can look at him and ask a question? No one can ask, why are you doing this or what have you done? Because from our perspective, it's not. Because how are we trained? Let's just be honest as Americans. What do we always want? We always want answers. We want every question answered. Weren't you taught this in school wrongly, by the way, as someone who is taught in a school system, that there are no stupid questions? There are stupid questions. Like, why aren't we closing down the grocery stores? See, that's a stupid question. There's one in real time. Why is it a comfort that no one can turn away God's hand or ask him or challenge him? If you're Nebuchadnezzar, what do you possess from an earthly point of view? Power. You're your Emperor Palpatine on steroids. Unlimited power! Sorry. If you haven't watched the Star Wars movies, you have no idea what I just did, and I apologize. 
But if you're Nebuchadnezzar, that's you. You have more power, authority, like you can point at that dude and the guards just haul him off and take his head off for you because, hey, that's just how I want to be today. What has he just recognized? That for all my power and authority, what can I not do? I cannot war against God. And that should be terrifying. And it is if you're his enemy. But if you're his child, what is it? This is awesome. That's comfort. This is... Every funeral, we talked about this on Wednesday night with our, with our men's Bible study. Every funeral, it's either read or written on the little bulletin what? What's always on the bulletin or someone reads at a funeral? Every single one I've ever been to. No? No, the, what Bible verse? Maybe I should say it that way. See, Psalm 23, it's, every, it's either somebody's reading it or it's written on the back of the bulletin for every funeral you've ever been to. If you don't believe me, go home and dig out your old funeral pamphlets and you'll, you'll see it somewhere. It's on there. That's got some weird stuff in it too by the this, by this same statement. What's the comfort? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. See, I, I did not grow up in church, and for some other reason, I have the 23rd Psalm memorized in King James English, and I don't know why. I don't know why, but it's just there. I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Why is God carrying a big stick of comfort? Because what's he going to do? When evil comes upon me, what's he going to do? He's going to smack them. And when you're the biggest, baddest thing in all creation, and I'm on your side, I am your adopted child. You know what's really comforting? That no matter what comes over this bridge, you got a big stick, and I'm going to laugh. It's going to be like YouTube taser videos. If you've never gone down that rabbit hole, you know, like when you watch the police taser videos because it's funny to watch somebody get tased, unless you're not like me and you're an actual nice human being. But you see, they're like, because they're arguing with the cop, and then all of a sudden you know the exact moment it hits because, like, you're not going to. That's what it's like. You get to walk through life knowing that if evil comes along, big dude with a big stick going, not today, not today. And it's like, <laughs> this is good news. That's Nebuchadnezzar right now. What is he realizing? There is a God in heaven. And by my repentance, I am his. No one can question him. No one can overpower him. Nothing can conquer him. How do we know this? Because what's our greatest enemy the way we see it? What's the number one thing people are afraid of? Death. What did he do? He died. But then what did he do? He got up again. See, that doesn't happen unless you have a lot of power. And see, that's the unstick. There we go. That becomes the firm foundation that Paul builds on, and that's why Paul continues in verse 15. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if, in fact, the dead are not raised. See, this becomes important for how we live and function in the world. You know what an a la carte menu is? Like, you go to a nice restaurant, and you're like, oh, I'll get a steak, and that comes with a baked potato and a salad, right? Because that's what steaks come with. No, really, really high-end places that want to charge you more money say, well, no, 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 the steak is $24.95. The baked potato, because all waiters in fancy restaurants speak with bad French accents. The baked potato is $4.95, and it's a salad. Now I'm German. Don't ask me where that just came from. And they charge you different prices for everything. That's a la carte. Is Christianity an a la carte menu? No, it's a package deal. This is God, as he has defined himself, as he has presented himself. Here you go, take it or leave it. 
what happens when we try to, what God do we end up with? Us. Because when I'm defining God from the way I want to see him, who am I really saying is God? I am. Mark 10. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. See, the angry atheist goes, See, 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 Jesus is saying right there that he's not God because he's not good because only God's good. No. What was the question? Or what was the address? How do I inherit good and eternal life is the question. We always focus on that because we're Americans and what do we want? Answers. What's the key thing there? What did he call him? Good teacher. Why do you call me good if all I am is your teacher? Who's good? See, see, when you call me good, you have to admit one of two things. Either you have a bad definition of good or you're saying I'm what? Yeah. But if you're saying that I'm good, who are you saying that I really am? You're saying I'm God. Because no human being is good. We went through this when we walked through John. The Jews of the first century, the religious leaders in the crowds, got what Jesus was saying. John 8, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Because by this point, Abraham has been in the grave, you know, for about 1,700 years. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Fast forward to John 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him, and Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you... Being a man, make yourself out to be God. See it again in Luke 22. They're asking, if you are the Christ, tell us. And he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask, and if I ask a question, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And they all said, are you the Son of God then? And he said, yes, I am. Then they said, what further need do we have of testimony? We have heard it from his own mouth. This is the trial. This is what leads to his crucifixion. What is he claiming? Equality with God. This matters. We are found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if, in fact, the dead are not raised. Why can Christ climb out of the tomb? Because he is man who has died, but he is also what power? He's God. He's God in flesh. This is where... If you'd like your highly technical theological term of the day, it's what we call in theology the hypostatic union. Mm -hmm. Yeah, plus tax. You can win Scrabble with that word, the hypostatic union. You have fully God, fully man in one body. Now, if you're going to ask me how that works, I'm going to give you a blank stare and blink a couple times and try to explain it again. And go, fully God, fully man in one body, because that's the extent of the explanation. I don't know how it works because I'm not God, and that's very, very good news for all of us. This is necessary because who does the raising power? God does. Now, here's, here's where this is so important. Can God determine to raise a person who is not God? You're like, hmm. And I would argue we have proof of this. 
you have the, uh, the, the, um, the, the, we have, la thank you. I'm trying to get another word out, and I was going to go there second, but we have Lazarus. Lazarus comes out of the tomb. Does that make him God? No. The, uh, the, the son of the widow of Nain. When Jesus walks through and their the funeral procession is leading him out of town to be buried, and Jesus raises him out of the coffin, does that make him God? No. This matters. God raises Christ, not just because he wanted Jesus to be alive, but because Jesus is life. In him was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. God is the source of life. Oh, there's a technical term for it, and it just went right out of my head. Ooh, ooh. I remembered. Yes. What we refer to as the aseity of God. you got to say it with a British accent because it sounds more important. It's the aseity of God. It means he has life in and of himself. See, why do you breathe? Why do you breathe? This is a God made you. Like, do you sit at home and going, all right, breathe, 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 heartbeat, 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 heartbeat. Hey, liver, do something. Oh, I forgot, breathing, breathing. Do you sit at home and think about all these bodily functions? No. <laughs> you think about them, but do you power them? No. You never power them. God does. Because that's how he has made you. Now, if God has decided that he would like to cut off that flow, what's going to happen to you? You die. Is there anything you can do about it? No. Can that happen to God? No. That is the aseity of God, the self-existence of God. He is because he is, not because anything is, not because he is dependent upon anything else. This is what Jesus has been teaching throughout his earthly ministry, and the final claim of that and the final proof of that is what? That he was dead and he rises again. Now this is this matters because either, either, one of two things. Either God, has, either God in Christ has died on our behalf, was buried and raised from the dead as proof of the satisfaction for sin, the turning away of the wrath of God and the granting of eternal life to his people, or Jesus is an absolute lunatic and the apostles are total liars. There's not, I can't find a middle ground because what happens when someone runs into the room and goes, I'm God! Do we all fall down and worship? No, what do we do? We laugh and then we call the people with the nice jackets with the buttons in the back, right? Because you we don't want we don't want you like you, you hold the kids a little bit closer. You, like, you make sure like you can clean line to the escape route, you know. Well, what did Jesus claim? Basically walked in and said, I'm God. And all the people were like, hey, heavy rocks, because you don't get to do that. But he proves it over and over and over. This is the key thing for Paul, especially here as he's explaining this. There is a resurrection because there has always been a resurrection. We know that Christ has been raised because we have testimony to it. He covers that in the first part of this chapter. And we know that it matters because it is the only thing that saves us. So, verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Are you sensing a pattern here? If there's no resurrection, then what can't Christ do? Be resurrected. Resurrect. There we go. There's a, there's a, there's a uh, present form of that. Matthew 22. Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor, get, are, nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and, of God, and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Jesus pointed back to a subtle little thing to prove the resurrection or the concept of resurrection. 
when God is speaking to Moses, how does he speak of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? In the past or present tense? In the present tense. They've been dead for a while. And yet to God, they are what? Alive. There is a soul. There is a life. There is an existence. So if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. Got it? And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. Because if Christ is not raised, who wins? Death wins. Because no one survives life. No one. And if Christ cannot overcome that, he is not all-powerful. If he's not all-powerful, then who is he not? He is not God. Hebrews 10. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. This is part of the reason why they're instituted. It's a reminder of every year when you go to the festival, every year when you offer your sacrifice, every year when the temple turns into a butcher shop, every time you make your offering that there is sin. There is a problem. You need redemption. You're waiting for a redeemer. But he, talking about Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us after, before after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart, and on their mind I will write them. And he then says, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. And where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. This is why we don't have an altar. See, if you want to know what the big thing in the Protestant Reformation was all about, it was that part of it was the what they called the evil of the mass. Because in that liturgy, what the Mass is, is a re-sacrificing of Christ. That's why the priest has to turn around and do his little thing in Latin, because then the bread is officially the actual body, even though it tastes and feels like bread, it's the actual body of Christ. And the cup, even though it still tastes like wine, is the actual blood of Christ. And what the priest is doing is he is bringing those elements together on an altar and offering them as sacrifice to God. See, what's the problem with that? I'll read it again. Where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. See, when the, when the church becomes corrupted by the world, we borrow and steal things from them on a regular basis. And what ends up happening is we don't influence the world. The world corrupts and destroys us. And that's what you saw with the Middle Ages in the Roman Catholic Church. You have a liturgy that is guided more by public policy than it is by biblical truth. Because we have things that we must uphold. We have buildings that we have to maintain. We have authority and power that we have to hold on to. So we do whatever we can need to do to keep those things. That is not what Christ has done. There is no re-sacrifice. There is no re-offering. There is one offering given for one time. And we know that it is good and it is eternal because it is offered by whom? God. And how do we know that? Because three days later, what did he do? climbed out of that grave. Hebrews 7. The former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. That's kind of a bummer. Sacrifice for the people's sins is what's eventually going to happen to you. You can't keep offering sacrifices forever because you're going to what? You're going to die. So we have to have how many priests? 
Lots of them. Because if we only have one and he dies, now what do we do? Um, guys, we didn't think this one through. We need to get another one. So we had a lot of them. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's what the priest would do. He would bring the offering on behalf of the people, and God would forgive based on the faithful offering. Christian, nothing's changed. It's just our offering is alive. Why is Christ seated at the right hand of the Father? Because he makes intercession for his people. How do our concerns and cares get to him? Because in salvation you are imparted the Holy Spirit. You are given the Spirit of God. That goes back to Revelation 5, the seven spirits thing. Seven, the number of perfection. What's the perfect spirit? What would we call him? The Holy Spirit who has gone out into all the earth. What do we now have? We now have a connection to God because of his spirit who brings our cares and concerns before them. Why do they get a hearing? Because there is the eternal sacrifice seated there saying that one is mine. So our cares and our concerns are brought. We have an intercessor. We have a priest in heaven doing the work that needs to be done. Verse 18 and 19. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. That should ring loudly in our ears as with the world doing what it's doing today. Because we have for too long, and by we I mean like the collective church, we have for too long turned God into a help hotline. Like, when do you know people will pray? When they've, well, we've got nothing else left, we might as well pray. That's backwards. Like, prayer is not a last resort. It is an emergency first response. And it shouldn't even be an emergency first response. It should be the default of the Christian. What does Thessalonians tell you? When should you pray? Without ceasing. Your life should be a connection in prayer. My water just tried to attack me. And I got video proof that I caught it. See, there you go. But for... What are you doing? It just attacked me again. Stay. I'm talking to water bottles now. Oh. Think I need to get out of the house more? <laughs> talk to the dog more. That's a good idea. I'll talk to the dog more. He actually talks back. I go out. You laugh. That dog snores. I had to go wake him up at 3.30 in the morning because I couldn't go back to sleep because the dog was snoring. And it's not because he's like, got lung problems. It's his jowls flop over his mouth wrong, and then they just like flap a little. And they have to go, you go shake him, and he wakes up and looks at you, and then moves, and he stops. But that has nothing to do with the resurrection of Christ. If, <laughs> if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. We have made too much of our Christian walk about the here and the now, protecting ourselves from the outside world, protecting ourselves from bad things. We have literally created an entire branch of Christianity dedicated, and I'm going to use that term branch of Christianity very loosely, dedicated to the idea that if you just believe enough and pray enough and read the right scriptures that you won't get sick and grandma won't get sick and cancer will run from you. These nitwits have actually been on TV like proclaiming how 
they can cast the virus out of countries. That's wicked. And it's sinful because what does it take the power of God and where does it place it? Here. It's not here. It's reserved. Our salvation is reserved for us in heaven or when God returns. One of those two things. And when we make our hope in Christ centered on our lives here and now, we've missed it. Traditionally, go back through human history. Every time there's a plague, you know what group of people dies in droves? It's two groups, really the same group. It's Christians, because what do we keep doing? Worshiping and going to church. And it's clergy. Because who doesn't leave? You go go back to the Black Death, what used to be what we call the Black Death. And historically, it was known as the Great Mortality. Because from 1347 to around 1351, between 30 and 60% of Europe died. That's a lot of people. And you know, while people were fleeing out, do you know who was opening hospitals? and creating orphanages and caring for children that whose parents had died and caring for the elderly because their families had run off to the hills somewhere. It was Christians. And people, well, aren't you afraid of dying? No. You know you're going to die from this? Yes. To live is Christ. To die is gain. See, we don't believe that. We don't believe that. And I know that because we're acting in a lot of ways the same way the world is. That's why I joke, you know, because I've caught myself doing it. You're walking down the store looking at other people. It's like, stop it. They're not the enemy. The virus isn't even the enemy. My sin is the enemy. Something. As Christians, we have to come to grips with this right now. Something is going to kill me. You have to say that in your own mind. You have to know that something is going to kill me. And it doesn't matter what it is, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be fun, and I'm not going to look forward to it. But my life here is not my hope. If my hope is here, I'm of all men most to be pitied because I've missed God. I've missed the promise of his coming, the promise of his resurrection, the promise of his kingdom. I've missed all of it. Matthew 16. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever wishes, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. This is why Easter is our big deal. Well, this is why Easter should be our big deal. Let me say it that way. Because let's be honest, what's our biggest Christian holiday? It's Christmas. It shouldn't be, but it is. And you know that it is because which is the one the world is trying to steal from us? They're trying to steal Christmas from us because they think it's our biggest holiday. Now, if they think it's our biggest holiday, who gave them that idea? We did. I um, actually read an article about... I've read part of the article. It was too annoying to read the whole thing. How so many churches were going to gather today. Take a wild guess what this secular news source said the reason was all these churches were going to gather. 
because it's for churches. It's their biggest income day of the year. That's what they think of us. That's what they think is most important. See, churches are going to be open on Easter because that's when the most people show up. And when the most people show up is when they all give. And when they all give, they all give a little bit more on those days. So that's why churches are going to be open because they'll get more money. Because if they think that about us, who gave them that idea? We did. We have missed it. What did Paul tell the Corinthians at the beginning of this letter? When he came to them, what did he come with? I determined to know nothing amongst you but Christ and him crucified. I did not come with superiority of wisdom or of speech, but I determined to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified. Where did Paul go before he went to Corinth? This is where Bible history is really fun. Paul entered into Corinth after he left Athens. One of the best little parts of a sermon in all of the New Testament is Paul's speech at Mars Hill at the Areopagus, where he, it's, it's only a few verses. I'm sure Luke didn't record all of it. But those handful of verses in Acts chapter 15, not Acts chapter 15, I'm sorry, it's Acts chapter 17. In Acts 17, it's a beautiful declaration because Paul sees the, uh, the tomb to an unknown God, and he's like, hey, I know who that is. Let me tell you. And he runs through it. And when he's done, as a Christian, you're reading it going, that is so good. That is so awesome. He gives life and breath to all men, and he is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. He's exclaiming the grand gloriousness of God. And when he's done, as a Christian, your heart is soaring. It's awesome. Go read Acts 17 when you get home today. It'll do you good. And you know what the Athenians say to him when he's done? That was very interesting. Will you come back tomorrow and talk about this some more? (laughs) And you know Paul is just leaving town like, no, I'm not coming back tomorrow to give you more. That was was it. Like, that's the best I got. (sighs) And he leaves Athens and he goes to Corinth. He just learned what lesson. It's not about me. It's about the gospel. That's why he calls it what in in, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1? It's foolishness to the Gentiles, and it's blasphemy, basically, to the Jews. But to us, what is it? It's the wisdom of God, the glory of salvation. What separates the believer from the unbeliever? The Spirit of God. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 2. How do we then live, according to 1 Corinthians 12? Walking in the one another's for the benefit of what? The kingdom of God. How do we do that? 1 Corinthians 13, by the love that the Spirit has given us because he has loved us and we function in an orderly, God-honoring manner because he has laid out how our worship is supposed to be. And why do we know all that? Because we have this grounded hope in a risen, not a dead Savior. That's the other thing. You You ever notice what you've never seen in a Protestant church that you see in every Catholic church? If this were a Catholic church, what would be right here? Christ would be there. Why don't Protestants put him there? Because he's not there. He is not there he's not in the ground he is risen and that grounds us for this world because if he walks out and he says you know where i'm going and you know the way (laughs) he's going to god where do i want to be there see the world thinks that jesus is still in the tomb we know that he is not what we must then do is live like he is not because if we don't we're falling into the same trap humanity has fallen down fallen into throughout the ages we are drifting back to the world we are depending on which side they're on we're just 
going back and forth. It's like a boat with no power out in the lake. What's it like? You're just, wind blows and we're going over here. And, and then when you get off the boat and you get on the pier, what are you doing? You're like, why am I, I'm standing still, right? I've done this at being at the lake with Cameron's parents and being on their boat half the day. You're standing on the ground looking at people going, am I moving? Inside, what am I doing? I'm doing this. Internally, it's like, stop it. It doesn't work. That's us when we drift with the world. We think we're fine. We think we're firmly planted. But what we're really doing is like, ooh, I'm leaning. Oh, no, 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 I'm not. I'm paying attention. If Christ is there and he is interceding and the Holy Spirit is here, then I am different. I am changed. I have nothing to fear. I have nothing to worry. I only have a risen Savior to serve and his kingdom to build. And if I am not about those things, then we are of all men most to be pitied because we have nothing. Because all we've been given is this world. And what do we know? It's gone. It's going to be taken away because I can't stop it. And I can't live in the fear of this any longer. Because my God is raised. And he is interceding and he is redeeming, and he is bringing people to himself day by day, and he is strengthening his people. And if I'm not being strengthened, it's because I'm not plugging in right. We have to know this world rightly, see its faults, and let's watch the news for 10 minutes, because after 10 minutes, your brain starts to mush, and you get mad and want to throw things. So like 10 minutes, then turn it off and go watch the weather or something. I can't even watch the weather. They're even talking about it. It's killing me. You know what you're reminded of? That they don't have that anchor. Why do I want to be like that? It's the greatest testimony to who Christ is. It's like, why are you people acting like this? Because you don't have Jesus. All right, let's get to work. That's how we live. That's how we function because our Christ is alive. And because he is alive, we are alive. And we will be alive because he has promised us this. He has not forsaken, he has not forgotten, he has not fallen away, and we cannot fall away because we are his. He is God, and he has secured us by his work. Let's remember that each and every day. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we say thank you that we can gather together as your people, that your message goes where we cannot even understand the graces that you have provided that we can still proclaim your truth no matter who we are, no matter where we are, and that your message still bears fruit. Lord, we thank you for the glorious work that you have done. The resurrection from the dead that you have promised is based on your work that you climbed out of that tomb because you demonstrated your power, that death is broken. There is no power, there is no enemy, but he is cast away. Lord, by the power of your spirit, remind us of that that death is gone, our fears are over, and that our souls are secure. And strengthen us to live that way each and every day until you return or call us home. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? 
nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. Oh, no other bounds I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can pour sin atone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good that I have done. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other bounds I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Um, reminder, just keep up with uh, Facebook as a way to get a lot of stuff out. And if you miss stuff, then we'll try to get it posted on the website and various platforms and try to keep as connected as we can until the world lets us return to normal as much as we can. So let's pray. Lord, as we leave this place, remind us that you are indeed risen that your blood has covered, that your work has atoned, and that you are interceding day by day. Let us never forget. Let us live as what we are, your redeemed, triumphant people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.